This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Travel Is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hello, I'm Jared Alster, Vice President of Marketing for Cox and Kings. What I love about travel is that it breeds lots of understanding and tolerance, which I think is very important these days. How does the world's oldest travel company even begin to think about innovation? Truth is, their track record over the years really speaks for itself. From launching new product types to creating brand loyalty with baby boomers and looking ahead to millennials, this legacy brand is established as one of the largest and longest lasting in international tourism. This is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry. So, Jared, what's the biggest difference you're seeing in marketing uh, Cox and Kings domestically versus internationally? It's kind of a big question, I know, but, you know, yeah. kind of so, from a marketing perspective. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, in my role, we focus on marketing to Americans outbound. So, you know, I think I think in the U.S., the market is still quite immature in a lot of ways versus the U.K. and Australia, where travelers are just really brought up and raised to be international travelers so much more than your average American. So from a marketing perspective, brand loyalty is almost non-existent in the U.S. And I, you know, I say almost because there is certainly some loyalty. There are some amazing brands that have done a great job at at building up their their brand cachet. But by and large, most travelers, especially when they're booking a high-end luxury trip or multi-day tour package, which is the space that I play in, we see that there's very little loyalty. So from one perspective, that's great because if you're a company that has a smaller budget, there's opportunities for you to acquire share. But if you're a company that has a very high cost per acquisition, then you want to make sure that you hold on to that client because there's a good chance that the next time they look to travel, they might be looking around. Interesting. So you you don't uh, necessarily work totally with the domestic market, at least for Cox and Kings, mm-hmm. in terms of where it's headquartered and where the operations. Um, so we're well. So we're just the office here is entirely outbound travel. So we don't have okay. any domestic trips. Got it. Got it. So it just functions as international. Just as international. Okay, so. In India, they you know most of. I'd say probably half of their, of their business, a quarter to a half of their business is sending uh, Indian citizens around India just because it's such a massive country. So you have a lot of Indians who are from the south or from the north, and they've never seen Goa. They've never seen Delhi. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of domestic uh, internal travel within India. Yeah, so that's what I was referring to, Yeah, I guess. sorry. But that's... it doesn't necessarily interact with how, that doesn't... how you have the... Correct. Right. Got it. Yeah. And do you see that model moving to the U.S. eventually as you grow kind of like inter-country travel rather than just abroad? It's a great question. I mean, I so in my experience just in this industry, I, most Americans don't need a tour operator to travel to, uh, huh. in the U.S. True. And I, I think a lot of times the only exceptions are perhaps very high-end experiences where you can't get access to them without booking through an agent or, you know, a local operator who really knows a specific region. Um, Also, national parks actually tend to see a lot of tours come through just because national parks are, it depends what you want to do. If you want to go, if you're a hardcore hiker, but maybe you don't want to organize everything yourself, all the gear, the material, you know, 
you can go with an operator because they actually understand the lay of the land literally to make sure that you're safe and that you see the sites that you want to see. But um, yeah, I mean, I think most Americans, they're happy. It's a very kind of road trip sort of culture we have here, right? Where you hop in your car with your family mm-hmm. and or some friends and you head out. So how does your target customer base differ in those two markets and considering that the product's kind of different? Yeah. In the U.S., Cox and Kings has a very um, high-end, high household income, high net worth luxury client. So they tend to be 55 and over, um, high net worth, tend to live on the coasts. They are well-traveled and they have a list of places they want to visit. Um, they know kind of they, they they tend to have a good idea of what they want out of an experience or a trip. They come to us to help make that happen and to add that extra flourish, get them that special access, um, and really craft a program that speaks to their behavior and their their desires. So versus internationally, you know, especially in India, the UK, um, in India, the client tends tends to be a bit younger. So. We have clients all the way from their 20s all the way up through their 60s and 70s. It really depends on what they're looking for. So in India, the product set is quite different. We sell flights. We sell traditional flight and hotel packages. We sell tours, um, really the whole gamut. So we're more, I would say we're more of an OTA model in India, and we're more of a high-end luxury operator here in the U.S. Hmm. And then how do you market to those customers differently considering – it's yeah. the same name. There's not a sub brand or anything like that. How do you yeah. appeal to that audience? So that's been so the the same name has been an interesting challenge for me um, because you know just if you're starting like most people, most travelers starting your search in Google, uh, are we have different websites internationally, and it's pretty obvious I think to most what the U.S. version of the site is, but seeing the dot com pop up which is the india site we do get a fair few americans who are going to the india site and they get a bit confused because it's not the product they're looking for so you know we we try and differentiate ourselves on multiple levels to make sure that americans that are american passengers clients understand you know we have a separate brand in the u.s it's very different from india it's even slightly different from the uk um so we run all of our own localized campaigns for digital. We, you know, all of our all of our marketing is regionalized, is hyper focused on the U.S. clients. You, know, you mentioned multi-day. Multi-day is pretty can be pretty complicated from everything from booking pass and. But this is something you've been working in for quite a while. Um, could you tell us a little bit about maybe Stride Travel and, and kind of how that transitioned to some of your experiences with Cox and Kings? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so Stride is um, a multi-day tour marketplace. So basically taking the meta search model and drawing a parallel to multi-day tours. So the concept is most Americans and really most people, they they are they are not brand loyal. They want choice. They want to read reviews. So why not give them a one-stop shop, a single platform to read reviews on all the multi-day operators out there? Um, and just make it easy to really find what they're looking for from a budget perspective, from a, a theme perspective, whether it's food and wine or adventure or cycling or whatever it is, you know, have, have a single site that aggregates all of the supply onto a single platform. So that was the, 
that's the idea of Stride, um, just making it easy for consumers to find what they're looking for. On the B2B side, it's about making sure that if I'm a small operator in, say, Tanzania, and I don't have a huge marketing budget, and I don't have a sales team in the U.S., I don't have a GSA in the U.S., how am I going to get what might be some amazing, amazing products in Tanzania in front of the U.S. market, who's my core audience? So that's mm-hmm. really our... Our B2B value is is that Stride gives that operator an ability to get their product to market at a very low cost. Coming from a technology company into a more of a, um, a legacy established brand like Cox & Kings has really opened my eyes to the distribution of our product in the US. So just trying to make us a little bit more forward thinking, a little bit more tech focused, and just understanding the different ways that we can actually bring our product to market uh, traditionally, we've been very, very reliant on advisors, on agents. And that's great. And, that, and they're a huge, huge piece of our business. And those are relationships that we'll have until the end of time. But I also think there is an opportunity for luxury brands to develop a direct business. And there's tons of market share to be had on that, that side. So mm-hmm. I've also, in my role, trying to push us gently in, in that direction to grow our, our, our B2C channels. And, and does your CAC change with the B2C channels versus going to the to the agents? It does, absolutely. So that's that's a that's a big reason why, you know, it's it's been an effort of mine because it abs- it absolutely does. Um agents so besides the commission, most operators, including Cox and Kings, we employ a full outside sales team. And they're they're on the road, you know, whatever it is, two hundred, three hundred days a year. So just the cost there needs to be worked into acquisition cost. Absolutely. Loyalty is a, a tough one, like you said, in, especially in the U.S. market. Um, how How is it that you can create such an experience that, say, somebody would want to use Cox & Kings again, uh, especially if you're dealing mostly with the luxury market in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. What is it that differentiates it that, that creates loyalty or, or has them coming back? I think it really comes down to our level of expertise and our service. We're dealing with individuals who they have a lot more money than time and they rely on us or their agent. I was about to say, because I mean, there might be a channel, you know, kind of like a barrier between you and that client really. So how can you make sure the product is really going to meet their expectations if, if somebody else is setting them, I suppose? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we work very, very closely with agents, so we will be on the phone with them. And sometimes we'll even say that we're part of their team. We have no we have no issues saying to XYZ agents, you know, we yes, we are part of this person's team. We are the local destination team for Africa, for India, for South America, whatever it might be. So we're more than happy to lend, to, you know, to to act as an extension of their their team. Um, and it's really that level of service. I mean, whether you're working with an agent or you're working with us, and the service we provide is very much like a travel advisor. So it's about understanding the nuances of a certain destination. All of our specialists, they've either lived in whatever destination they're selling. They are from there. So Seema, who's our India specialist, is from India. She lived there, you know, for most of her life, about half of her life, I think. Um, Ignacio, who's our expert on Latin America, is from Mexico, and he's lived and traveled extensively in Latin America. So these are people who, you know, we're, we're not just hiring them and training them on a destination, they come to us already armed with that destination knowledge. 
which I think is, you know, something that's special and somewhat unique in this industry. Very cool. Well, I see that you brought us something. I don't know if you're going to break it out at this point. <laughs> I did. There's a little experience so, here as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, so my original thought was I wanted to bring you guys some hot pretzels off the streets of New York. However, being that it's about 30 outside and windy, I thought by the time I got them here, they would be cold pretzels. Fair. So <laughs> instead, here, I'll let you guys pass them out. I just brought you guys some tasty pastries. Oh, thank you. I think there's there's one there's at least one for each of us. Wow. It says tips on that bag. I'm not yeah, sure why. Is that them them asking you for tips? I don't know. Were they expecting me to stand outside with a bag and gather <laughs> tips? I'm not really sure what that is. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's dig into this. Coming up, you'll hear about the future of the tourism industry, how that plays into the core audience for Cox and Kings, and how they work with local governments and local economies to make a difference. Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done, and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entreprenistapodcast.com. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. It sounds like a lot of your customers are are boomers. Really interested to hear kind of what works well with them, right? And how are you working to get that really valuable share of wallet and then also how that will transition to millennials and to the next generation that, you know, eventually will hopefully <laughs> have that sort of money to spend on, on more luxury experiences. Yep. Boomers are an interesting demo, I think. And I've worked. So just to back up real quick, I mean, I, I've been a boomer ban. I've been on the boomer bandwagon for many, many years back to my days when I was um, in charge of marketing with intrepid travel Intrepid is very much a millennial-focused brand, uh, but I had realized one day while just doing some digging in our reporting system that a quarter of their passengers in the U.S. were boomers, and this was this was six, seven, eight years ago. But we had we we had done at that point really nothing to reach that audience. So this was all organic business that we were getting by basically sitting on our hands and doing nothing. 
So that was the first time I had the light bulb moment of, aha, this really is, in terms of that style of travel, adventure style, multi-day travel, that is really where it's at when it comes to where uh, where the opportunity lies. So fast forward, you know, we, I, we kind of took that same approach at Stride and now certainly at Cox and Kings, where it's a luxury audience, um, high net worth, older. And I think boomers, they just, they want, they have a good idea of what they, of what they want, but they really rely on that service. Like I was saying earlier, I, I think most, most boomers, they're used to working with an agent or someone who they think is an agent. And that's really an, another Another nuance is a lot of people, a lot of clients, they don't actually understand the difference between a travel agent, a traditional advisor, or a tour operator who just happens to know a lot about a destination. The way they see mm. it, everyone, are if, if you're talking to them about a trip, you're a travel agent. So in the industry, we're very careful to segment, and we, of course, all know the differences. But on the consumer side, no one, no one actually knows. So... It comes down to service. It comes down to um, really presenting the brand, presenting our product in a very clear, um, no BS sort of way. So if you look at a lot of the websites for a lot of the brands that are focused on boomers, you'll see they're actually quite simplistic and they're not overly designed. They design for clarity and conversion versus designing just to have a well-designed site. Uh, And I think that's the, you know, for anyone who's looking to reach that market, don't don't obsess over design for design's sake. Obsess over making sure that information is surfaced clearly without too much clicking and, you know, fancy flourishes because that audience, they that's not what they want. Um, we've done a, quite, a, quite a bit of, of user feedback and it's, it's really insightful to watch uh, someone who's a little bit older use a website versus someone in their 20s or 30s. And just the way they interact, what they go to first, the way they interact with a menu, the way they interact with, you know, video. It's just actually fascinating to watch. Hmm. So how does, like, how does Cox and Kings then future-proof? Because if you are, a, a, you know, focused on this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of older demographic, uh, is there a way to pro- kind of progress the brand so that you're also reaching younger crowd as they start to get into further disposable income or how do you look for that transition or will there be that transition is to say i think there certainly will be um the circle of life oh uh, no i didn't but, i guess <laughs> no no i know <laughs> we'll all be just searching for I clarity just to get as up a lion to, king yeah. reference in there. pride rock <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it's i think um it's really twofold so first of all we we see our audience as so the current cohort of boomers, they're the healthiest and wealthiest that they've ever been in the history of mankind. So, you know, starting from early mid fifties, you might live another 40 years. I mean, that is not, that is not crazy these days. You know, from the time that you hit 50, you might be alive for another 40 years. And really, I mean, it wasn't that long ago where that wasn't the case. So I think when you think about 40 years, I mean, that's, that's one trip a year, roughly. I mean, there's still a lot of a lot of room, a lot of opportunity just within those, those, those years. So that, that's the first part. The second part is, you know, we are very aware though, that yes, we, we need to be, um, we need to also reach down as well as reaching up when it comes to our products and who we target. So we actually just launched new products last, uh, last summer, and we're about to launch a few more coming up in the next few weeks, actually, that focus more on small groups. So instead of taking 
the current approach that we've taken in this market for 20 years, which is private luxury travel, we're introducing small luxury groups. So the same experiences, the same five-star hotels, and the same service level, but making it slightly more attainable and achievable for someone, you know, who might not have a ton of money, but still wants to see the world in a comfortable way to book one of those trips. So we just launched um, six destinations around the world, and we're going to be rolling out another dozen or so probably in 2019. So that's pretty exciting. I think that's really, to answer your question, John, I mean, that's how, that's how we're trying to reach the millennials. That's how we're trying to reach you know families as well, because you're right. I mean, there's only <laughs> there's only there's only so many years left, um, you know, to 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 target people who are getting a little bit up, up there in age. Do you do you then identify those products as, as a separate brand entirely, or is it is the hopes that it just kind of falls under the umbrella and just transitions and kind of lifts Cox and Kings up as a brand? It is currently presented and marketed as just Cox and Kings. So think about it; it's more of it's more like a product type than it is a brand. We had thought about multiple approaches. In the end, we decided not to launch a whole new brand, um, mostly because we're fairly well-known. I mean, being the world's oldest travel company, we are fairly well-known, especially among U.S. travel agents. So we didn't want to confuse the market um, with another brand. And we feel like the product is close enough to our current style that it really didn't warrant that. Interesting. So um, with the market that you're focused on in India, um, do you end up doing a lot of work with tourism boards, with, um, you know, kind of even local government more regionally? Um, how does that interaction work with an uh, international tour operator? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we can kind of dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, sure. So we work with um, quite a few destination marketing organizations all over the world. So we have great relationships uh, in Latin America in Europe, um, Asia, India, and really destinations. So they are they are government bodies that are funded by the federal government, and the sole purpose is to push tourism. But there's nothing. There's no call to action. So they they really they really rely on operators and they rely on agents to get the word out there and actually provide that CTA for someone to book a trip. So. Uh, it's a very close relationship. It's very mutually beneficial, I think, for operators to work with certain destinations. And I, and I think it's, you know, for us, it's worked really well. Um, it helps to ex- expand our audience. It helps to ex- expand our marketing budget. And, you know, it just really helps us to zero in on a few destinations that we know sell well and get some support from those reason- those regions to really push that destination. Interesting. So it kind of does impact, say, which region you're you're pushing to at any given time? Do they end up competing against each other? Or is it all just yeah. kind of yeah? How does that play into the um, strategy? I guess it does. So we're you know we're a global operator, but we tend to focus on a few core regions that we know we sell well. Um, so Peru, India, Japan, uh, South Africa, East Africa. So Kenya, Tanzania, um, Latin America. I mentioned Eastern Europe does really well for us. So we tend to try and strategically form relationships at the DMO level with those regions. Uh, so we'll sell a trip to, you know, almost, almost anywhere, all seven <laughs> continents, Antarctica included, hundred and something countries. 
But yeah, we tend to focus on those areas and that, that, that does that does dovetail into the marketing strategy and the sales strategy in terms of what we're pushing out to our clients. So interesting because I feel like, you know, one of the big things you hear is that the tourism industry in particular, aside from say aviation or hospitality is, is probably what would be considered the wild west. Everything's a little bit fragmented. There's a lot of share that can still be picked up from what you're describing. It sounds actually quite holistic. Um, when under this one brand, what do you think the, what do you see as opportunities in the space? What's the future of the tourism industry and, and why does it feel so fragmented to everybody? Oh, I think you're absolutely right. It is it is still very much fragmented. I mean, there there is a there's a nice ecosystem within the tour operator space, certainly. But it's still when you look at the tour when you look at the tour operating business and that vertical versus air, hotel, car rental, transportation, accommodation, it is very much the Wild West. A lot of the supply is still offline. So we talk about tours and activities now coming into their own age and being pushed online, and we hear all of that, and there's a lot of investment in that space. Multi-day tours is still very much analog, and it's still very much offline. It wasn't that long ago that operators were doing business via fax machine. Um, some travel agents may or may not still have a fax machine. <laughs> but that might be an exaggeration. But, I mean, really, it's, it is a very, I think, both because of the age of the core consumer and also just the nature of the booking and the nature of the path to that booking. It's not an instant book sort of thing. No one goes on their no one goes on their smartphone on the subway on the way home and books, you know, a 10 day safari to Kenya. Yeah. And if you do, I want to meet you because that's pretty awesome. Because I mean so, you know, it's it's a very considered purchase. So I think it is still very much fragmented and that's was really i mean that is kind of what stride that was their whole purpose was to was to centralize all of that content because there's thousands and thousands and thousands i mean try googling cycling tour in france and see how many pages of search results you get it's it's bonkers so um i think that is you know the that is the last part of that is the last shoe to fall so to speak in this industry in terms of both digitizing content and and you know kind of just funneling it into a way that's more easily digested and consumed. Do you think it'll end up consolidating like the rest of those sectors? Um, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. I think eventually. I mean, eventually, I think I'd say yes. I don't think it's going to happen next year or three five, or three or even five years. I think I, I think we're a long way. When you look at when you look at day tours, the hop-on, hop-off buses, the museum tickets, the Empire State Building, the Golden Gate Bridge, I mean, just day tours and activities, they've been around forever. I mean, Viator was founded in the mid-90s. Right. Yeah. And look how long it's taken to get that supply into a format. And now it is fairly concentrated among a few suppliers, but still there's a ways to go. Yeah. So I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's imminent. So, I mean, considering what you're saying that it is a very antiquated space, do you kind of look to any other verticals that have have modernized in an interesting way that you kind of benchmark against or even pull inspiration from? I mean, outside of travel, certainly, you know, me personally, um, I'm a big outdoor guy. I, I love skiing, hiking, used to do some 
do some mountaineering before I had kids. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I tend to look to the outdoor retail space and I think a lot of brands like, like Patagonia and North Face and others have done a really good job of, and it's a very similar client in a lot of ways. Maybe not age-wise, but it's a very similar client in terms of their mindset, their psychographics, the way they they consume, um, the way they they travel, their spirit. I think of wanting to go out there and go on a big adventure. So, I think a lot of those brands have done a great job, both on the sustainability side, which most most travel companies um, should be looking at if they're not already, and also just in the way they they communicate their brand and bring it to life. Obviously, outdoor retail has a tangible product that we in travel don't have. So it's a little bit different, but I've definitely gotten some inspiration uh, from, from that, from that side of the business, I think. Yeah. That's great. Coming up, you'll hear us put business aside and get to know Jared a little bit more personally. Hello world. I'm George Manley, the senior vice president of sales and marketing for solar. I have a background in broadcast journalism I've traveled the world, and I love to write. But more than any of that, I love to have great conversations with interesting people, and I love to learn their stories. I am so thrilled to be working with really interesting people in the social commerce space as a result of this show. Solar is a place where brands and influencers create content to share with their consumer public. Each week, I'll be presenting a story from an interesting person in this space, and the goal is to learn something more about how this industry is evolving. The goal is to learn something more about the creatives behind the creator-influencer space, and the goal is to celebrate the community that is quickly forming on solar.com. I hope you'll enjoy this show. I hope you'll enjoy our conversations. I hope you'll give us feedback. And if your story is interesting enough, I hope you'll join us on another solar story, the art and business of influence. Solar Stories is presented by Solar Inc. And you can find more episodes of Solar Stories and learn more about solar at solar.com. Copyright 2018, Solar Inc., all rights reserved. Thank you for listening. So you mentioned moving back relatively recently to New York. Um, now you have kids. What is the process like of traveling with kids? How has that kind of <laughs> affected your life as, as a traveler? And, and, and do you travel with your children? Yeah, I mean, so I would love to say that they've been to 20 or so countries and that we're, we go somewhere every year, but I'd be lying. Um, there is... I mean, it obviously changes everything when you have kids, certainly traveling. Uh, I've always been one of those people to try and take only a carry-on, and I pride myself on it like most of the people out there who who do that. I went to India. Um, I went to India followed by the UK for two weeks last year, and I brought a rollerboard and a backpack. So very proud of my packing skills. Packing for the family is just a whole other ballgame, especially when you have young kids. So... My two sons are uh, 15 months and four years old. So still, you know, on the young side, I think the the sweet spot for traveling is actually before they can walk. (laughs) 
once they <laughs> once they get mobile, it's just a whole new ball game. So, um, you know, we've yeah, we've certainly done a bit of traveling. They got their passports last year. We've been we've been to a few places. Went to Bermuda recently with them, which was lovely. Really short flight from New York. I highly recommend it. <laughs> nice. Um, but I think yeah, where they are now, especially my younger guy who's just insane. Um, I think we probably have another another year or year plus until we take a big big trip as much as that as much as that pain yeah no i know (laughs) we have larger dreams larger dreams (laughs) Uh, you mentioned that you did some mountaineering so what is the highest you got and what was the feeling that you got achieved (laughs) the feeling was nausea no um (laughs) So, yeah, so I I started trekking many, many, many years ago and decided, um, you know, what's after that? And that was to start actual climbing. So did some amazing, amazing climbs in Peru, Ecuador, Nepal. Um, and so the highest I got was right around 20,000 feet, um, twice. And, you know, you it's not something that all of a sudden you're just there, of course, so you you acclimatize and you take your time so i actually felt great believe it or not um some people i think you're just born with it but some people get really bad sickness when you're at altitude i i was never one of those people thankfully so um it's great i would i would do more of it but my wife um you know looks down on that sort of adventurous activity right now but <laughs> where where was the climb you said twenty thousand. uh so one of them was on a mountain called chopacalki which is in peru uh so in northern peru so when everyone kind of goes south of lima to get to machu picchu and to cusco in that region so if you were to stay in the andes but then just go due north there's a whole nother region in peru that is absolutely gorgeous and there's no one there so if you ever want to go, and they, there's lovely trekking, you don't have to really climb. There's lovely trekking, beautiful glacial lakes. It's really spectacular, and there's no tourists. Um, so yeah, that was one of the times. The other time was uh, in Africa on Kili. So climbed Kilimanjaro with my dad actually a few years back, which was incredible. Is there a final thought that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, it could be a reflection on what we've talked about in this conversation or just generally your experiences in the travel space. In terms of the future of travel, and I, you know, I'm really enthusiastic about innovation in, in the space. I've been in the industry for not quite a decade, but pretty close to it. And, you know, even in the past few years, I think one of the things I noticed is when I lived in the Bay Area, there was a lot of travel tech innovation as there is in every industry out there. I was really amazed and and encouraged when I came back here in New York and I saw that happening at Voyager and that was never New York was never a hub for technology at all and now it's a hub for not only tech but travel tech. So I think that's that's awesome. Um I think there's a lot happening. I've seen a lot more entrepreneurs come into the space who are not travel people. They're not industry people, which I think is great because you get fresh thinking um, you get that disruption, not to use that phrase, but you kind of have to, uh, you, you do get that disruption that I don't think you would get from people who have been in this industry for their entire career. So I'm really, I'm really encouraged. I, I, you know, there's, there's, there's lots happening on all fronts, B2B, B2C. And, um, I think it's a really exciting time to be in travel. Awesome. 
Is there um, a way that a listener could get in touch with you or the work you do with Cox and Kings? Sure. Um, be happy to have you email me. My email is jared, J-A-R-E-D, at coxandkingsusa.com. Awesome. Thank you again for well, hanging out with us today. Thanks, guys. It's been yeah. great. Yeah. My co-host, Beth Chapman. Happy trails. I'm your co-host, John Matson. Bon voyage. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.